Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. He said, Randy, we gave you the best school that you put down on your list. We gave you RIT in Rochester. In that moment, I shouted. I said, no. <laughs> and he looked at me. He said, well, that's what you got. That's where you're going. So I knew I crossed the line. <laughs> and, and so I came home almost in tears, looking at Cindy saying, I didn't want to go to, to New York. I had no desire to, I don't even know where Rochester is. It's like way up there. I have no desire. It's cold winters. It's way up north. I, Cindy said, well, you know, we've been praying for a long time about the Lord's will. And, you know, we'd been in churches over the years that we were just growing dissatisfied because it was less and less teaching God's word. And, and things were really out of balance. And, and, and maybe, you know, your prayer to where the Lord, maybe he's answering your prayers about getting you to a place of balance. Stay with me on this just for a minute. Even if you've heard this before, stay with me for a minute. Because all of these events up to this point... They're insignificant. I mean, they're just career decisions. And of course, I'm now faced with when I can turn down this assignment and I was able to do it. But by turning down that assignment, it would be marked in my file that I did that. It'd be a career killer. So what's the smart thing to do? All right, we'll go to Rochester. So we pack up and we go to Rochester. And we're there for the first three months trying to habitate back to churches that we've been attending over the years. And for a lot of reasons, we just weren't comfortable there and they weren't teaching the word either. And, 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 and one day I came home and I told Cindy, I found the church. She said, said, it's good news and bad news. She said, well, what's the good news? I said, the good news is I found the church that teaches the word. She said, what's the bad news? I said, We'd have to drive to California every Sunday morning. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm listening to these guys on the radio and they're teaching line by line, verse by verse. And the one guy I heard says his church is in California. She said, what's the name of it? I said, Calvary Chapel. She said, I've been listening to the radio station too. And I think they're here in the city. I think it's their radio station. So I pull open the directory and sure enough, there's 13. I recognized it. Calvary Chapel, right there it is. I'd never known Calvary Chapel before, never heard of Calvary Chapel before, except what I'm hearing on the radio. And so she says, maybe we should check one of these out. And I'm like, oh, I don't know where. And then all of a sudden I saw one of their symbols. It was the dove. And I'm sorry, I'm pointing. You can't see that. I'm sure on the camera we've got the dove behind us. So that's all right. And so I recognized, I said, I've seen one of these. It's not far from our house. I'll go there. And I went there. And within the first 20 minutes, I knew that the Lord had brought me to the place he was bringing me to. But I didn't know it was the end of the journey. And so I'm sitting in this church, you know, just enjoying the teaching word, really growing in God's word and, and planning still to go back to the army, to go back, back to a field assignment, to get back out there. Probably battalion command select, fairly certain that would probably happen. Fairly certain, probably that doesn't work, does it? That's the best you can do in the army. Fairly certain, probably. And, and figure my career was not over. I was going to go back out and do those things. But two years into sitting under the teaching of the word, the Lord started putting on my heart, I want you to retire. I want you to retire. So I'm thinking, retire? Yeah, I should retire. I got my 20 years as an officer. I have four years enlisted. I'll retire. 
So I, I, I put in my, my paperwork to retire, but right before I did that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have two years in grade now as a lieutenant colonel in my rank as a lieutenant colonel, but to retire and get paid as a lieutenant colonel for retirement, you needed three years. And so I start to negotiate with the Lord. If I just take one more assignment, one more assignment, it'll add the years that I need to get the, the retirement pay at that. And the Lord was putting in my heart, do you trust me? Just turn in your paperwork. Yeah, Lord, I trust you. So I turned in my paperwork. Within a week, two weeks of turning it in, the Army puts out a bulletin and it says that if we're trying to draw down the senior ranks, if you are a lieutenant colonel and you've served as a lieutenant colonel for two years, we will let you retire at your current rank for pay purposes. And if you've already turned in your, pay, your paperwork within the last 90 days and You've served for two years in that rank. We'll let you retire at that lieutenant colonel rank for pay. Well, I did all those things. And suddenly that's happening. And so the Lord said, step out by faith. I step out by faith. But all these events, are you following with me? All these events, they're insignificant. They're just routine. The army makes decisions like this all the time. But they're starting to gel. They're starting to come together. And in the process, I'm trying to figure, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And so the rest becomes history. I put in an application in a place called Scotland School for Veterans Children here in Pennsylvania. And, and I get assigned. I, I get hired there. And within two years, this work begins. I could go through all those things, too. But here's the point. As those events were happening, all of them were relatively insignificant, seemingly meaningless in the big picture of things. It's just normal things of life, normal things of my career, normal path changes that happen. But now as I stand on the back end of this, looking back, I realize that like Joseph and Mary, little simple edicts were of the hand of the Lord that were guiding and steering and bringing me onto a path to get me to where God wanted me to be. But this isn't just about Joseph and Mary. And this is not just about me. This is about all of you. Never underestimate how the, significant, the, the seemingly insignificant events of your life, if you're following the Lord, if you're yielding your will, your desires to the Lord, how he will use those seemingly insignificant events in your life that will seem oftentimes very routine. Sometimes you won't even realize it's happening. But he's adding them together and bringing them together like channels of water from a stream being brought into a bigger stream where he's taking you to get you right to where you need to be. It doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor. It doesn't even mean those things. I never guessed I would be, so it could be for some of you that are listening. And, and for some of you, it's other things. But, but the Lord wants to bring you to where he wants to bring you, and he will orchestrate the events in order to do that. All you need to do is go with the flow. And in the end, you'll be able to look back. And here's the really cool part. You get to do what I just did. Maybe many of you can already. You get to give a testimony of what God did, how he got you to where you are, how he did all of these things, but you didn't realize it at the time. Joseph and Mary didn't realize at the time what was happening, but God was orchestrating things to get them to where they needed to be. And so too, he will do that with your life as well. Amen. I hope you think hard about that because that's exactly what he wants to do. Well, look on in verse six. So it was that while they were there talking about in Bethlehem, the, the days were completed for her to be delivered. 
And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I know this is a verse we, we teach at Christmas time. You all have heard it to death, but, but there's some really cool parts in this that we need to pay attention to. So it was, it begins. So it was. I like that phrase. I like the way it begins this because it's a phrase that, that I think is, is, is pregnant with meaning like Mary's pregnant. It's pregnant with meaning. So it was, gives a sense of, and it just so happened, but it's almost a tongue-in-cheek way of saying, and it just so happened, you following my drift? It's not an accident. It's saying it isn't an accident that, that they're there. And it's just the perfect timing of God as he now begins to unfold all of these events. So it was that while they're there, the days are completed and she now has this baby. Now, why did it matter where Jesus was born? Why, why did it matter that all of these events, the census, everything leading them back to Bethlehem, why did that matter? Because prophecy had to be perfectly fulfilled. God wanted to perfectly fulfill prophecy, so Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem in order to do that because Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says this about the Messiah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, literally meaning the city of bread. Where else would the son of David be born but in Bethlehem, the city of David? Where else would the bread of life be born but in Bethlehem, the house of bread? But you see the connections. Yes, Caesar made the proclamation for the census to be taken, but God orchestrated and he ordained the entire sequence of events. It was God who allowed, just as we talked about last week, it was God who allowed Rome to rise to power and who caused one of its Caesars to impose a seemingly ordinary administrative requirement of a census in order to cause this ordinary and unknown couple to return to their husband's hometown of Bethlehem to be registered where she goes into labor just so happens to go into labor while she's there and has this baby in this city so that prophecy would be perfectly fulfilled <laughs> go ahead tell me that God is not real or in control of events go ahead I dare you to tell me that because I'm just going to tell you this, it takes more faith to believe that he's not in control of things and exists than it is to believe in the fact that he exists as in control. And this, this very fulfillment of prophecy is proof alone that causes me to say it is not hard to believe that God is real and he is who he says he is. And so it is. Jesus came into this world as a baby. He's placed in a manger. And of course, you guys know from the, the teaching on the story repeatedly that, that the manger is, is, is a feeding trough for the farm animals. And, and, and he's placed there because there's no room for them in the inn itself, in the, in the normal place where, where they might find room. But where exactly this happens, where this feeding trough is located, well, that's not fully known. Some suggest it was in a cave in, in the field where the animals were being kept. 
that is possible because that was often the case. But it also may have actually been a facility where the animals were kept that was actually a part of the inn itself, attached to that building itself. And that wasn't uncommon in ancient Israel to have that kind of area attached to a dwelling place. And, and you know, it's I, I bring to mind when, Sin, when Cindy and I, I was stationed, we were living in Germany and Bavaria, we would go down in, into the Bavarian Alps and we would just go down for a weekend and we'd look for these signs that would say Zimmer Fry. It means room free. People, it was like they'd open up a room in their house, a boarding room, basically. We got room and board, breakfast and, and a room to sleep. And we found this one that we stayed at. It was really quaint in the mountains. And as we stayed there, it was kind of unique because they took us up to our room and the room was literally over the barn. We could hear the chickens and we could hear the cows mooing in the night. And yeah, we could smell them too. And, and there we were over this thing, but how unique that was. But I thought of that as I, I thought of this picture of these facilities that were attached to the house, not quite the same, but the same idea. It was part of the house. And it may have very well been that that's where they moved Mary and Joseph to in order to have baby Jesus. But it's also worth noting in this is the garments that they clothe Jesus with. They wrap him in what's titled here swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths are these snugly wrapped strips of cloth, and it wasn't uncommon for, for parents of newborns to wrap their babies in these simple wrappings as they kept their limbs straight and, and really unharmed. They couldn't scratch themselves. They couldn't move around a lot. It kind of held them tight, made them feel secure. But in this case, it was necessary as well. This little detail was absolutely necessary for them to do because it's one of the things that the Lord will tell the shepherds to look for in order to identify the baby Messiah. Every detail, and I, I hope you're getting that, every detail about his birth was necessary and important, no matter how slight a detail it was. And I would tell you that in many cases, even the slightest details of the events of our lives, of our world in which we're living, even now, are important as well to God's unfolding plan. By the way, some teach that the swaddling cloths were actually the same as the burial garments that were used to bury the dead, and that this was a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus' death. Well, that sounds good, but it's not necessarily a correct application. It's clear from the Greek word that that's used here in this passage, that it is a word that refers specifically to baby cloths, not to burial cloths. Not It's not the same. There's a different word used for burial cloths. So while it sounds good to make that analogy, it's not necessarily a correct analogy. This was very typical to what, what oftentimes they would put babies in. But it was absolutely essential for Jesus to be placed in this because this detail was going to become important for others to identify that they have found the baby Messiah. Well, look on at verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I 
told the group this morning, actually, we should have staged that up here today. Every time I read that passage, I think of Linus, you know, on Peanuts, getting up on the stage and the spotlight comes on. He reads this. I love that section. I love this, this section. I always did as a kid, too. But let's not reduce it to just a cartoon because it's reality. It's a reality of what took place. And so here what we're given is the account of these shepherds whom God sends and, and this angel he sends to inform them of this important event. And you'll note, it is very significant that it is to these shepherds that God initially sends word of Jesus' birth. Why do I say that? Why do I say it's significant? Well, because shepherds were, by and large, seen as outcasts of society by the religious leaders of that day. In fact, they, they, they were seen so much so as being unclean that the rabbis, and, and really outcasts, to the point that the rabbis had determined that their testimony wasn't even admissible in courts. And that was because they lived in the fields with the sheep, so that they could keep, you know, they couldn't keep all of the typical religious cleansing rules, the purity rules, the purification rules. They couldn't keep those regulations and the, to the standard that these religious leaders had created and imposed upon people. And so they were considered unclean. And so in this moment, what's really happening here is that God is making what I believe is a really profound statement by announcing Jesus' birth to these guys first. To these people who are seen as unclean, as, as their, their testimony is not even admissible, he's sending word to them first. He's making clear that unlike these human religious leaders, he isn't excluding anyone from what he's doing, especially excluding it from those that the world would consider lowly outcasts, because God doesn't see them that way. The salvation he's offering won't be based on, on anyone's standing in society or by the superficial spiritual expectations of human men and women. But his is a free offering of salvation to any and all who look to him by faith for it, regardless of who they are or what they have done in their lives or, or what their status in life really is. Just like Paul will later write in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, from verse 21 to verse 26, Paul writes, Romans 3, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are unclean. <laughs> all of us. All. All means all. All doesn't mean some. All means all. Being justified, he says in verse 24, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Hmm. We're all sinners. All are unclean. All are impure. And yet, here Paul says that God is offering salvation to all and on all who believe. Look, I do not know who all of you are. I do not 
know what your background is or what your background you've come from or what expectations you've lived under. Maybe you've lived under religious expectations from religious and pious men and women of this world, and they've laid that upon you. Maybe as a result of it all, you've even come to see yourself as nothing more than a lowly shepherd, an unclean spiritual outcast whose testimony isn't worth anything. But I can tell you this. I can say it with all certainty. God does not see you this way. God does not see you this way. He came to the lowly and the outcast first so that they would know that the world's religious standards are not his standards. From his perspective, which is the only perspective that really matters, from his perspective, true spirituality isn't based on any of these things, but he bases it on your heart towards him. Whether you're a shepherd or you're a priest, he bases it based on your heart toward him. He comes to the lowliest men and women, those who others look down upon, and he offers you redemption based on the simplicity of believing faith. Believing by faith that Jesus is who he declares himself to be and that you are what God says you are, a sinfully fallen human being in need of what only Jesus Christ can offer to you. Believing by faith that Jesus did what you could not do for yourself by going to the cross of Calvary on your behalf and paying the debt for your sin, a debt that you could not pay. And believing by faith that what he did for you on the cross is absolutely sufficient. Believing by faith that there's nothing more to be added, nothing more to be done to secure your redemption, not by you, not by anyone else on your behalf, just by what Christ alone has done for you. And then, looking to him, believing by faith that he rose from the dead, just as the Bible declares he did, and, and that he's alive, even now making intercession for you continually before the Father, and believing by faith that he is holding you safely in his hands, finishing the spiritual work in you that you could not have even begun or finish apart from him. This is simplicity of what he requires for you to find redemption and eternal life. And he doesn't care whether you're a shepherd or you're a pastor. He doesn't care. It does not matter to him. It might matter to the world, but it doesn't matter to him. This is what he's looking for. This is the simplicity of what he requires for you to find redemption and eternal life. And he offers even to the lowliest men and women who will receive it regardless of who they are and what their spiritual pedigree might be. Be. This is Paul rightly declared in Romans 3, 21 and 22. Romans 3, 21, the righteousness of God apart from the law being revealed and being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Do you hear any qualifiers in that? of what you must be, uh, of, of what your background must be, not a thing. 
It says James even declares, speaking about the poor, but we can absolutely apply it because it's the same concept because he's going to talk about the poor. But remember, the poor were looked down on in Jewish culture. They were looked down on even in the Christian culture as it was forming after Jesus departed and the church was being established. It was happening there too because being poor, being destitute was a sign from their view of God's displeasure with a person. They weren't holy enough. They weren't righteous enough. They weren't pure enough or they wouldn't be in that condition. And so the church looked down. But listen what James says in James chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? (laughs) My beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs? The shepherds, yeah, you, who think that your background, your life, somehow disqualifies you from what God wants to give you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. The only thing he requires and what he's looking for is for your faith in him, your love of him. He's looking at your heart. It's exactly as this angel declares to these shepherds because it's true. They could rejoice while the, the, the Levite, the, the Levitical priests and the religious rulers of the day, the Sanhedrin, whoever, the Pharisees might look down on him. He says to them, this angel tells them, good tidings of great joy to all people, all people. By the way, one other important thing to note. Some scholars believe that the flocks, and this is important, some people believe that the the flocks, it may very well be true that the flocks these shepherds were tending were actually the sheep that were owned by the priests and were used as a part of the temple sacrifices. This could mean that these shepherds who were so looked down on were Levites, that they were actually Levites from the Levitical priestly tribe, and yet they would have still been considered unclean just like any other shepherd because of their inability to keep up with the purification requirements. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.